Yo, 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 what's going on? It's your boy, Malcolm Jamal, and welcome back to another episode of Fire Fairy, the place where we discuss all things queer, all things black, all things socially conscious, and think a little bit more about how marginalized communities are affected by our everyday society. And I just wanted to talk a little bit today about how I've been noticing this trend right now, right? We have this diagnosis from our president Trump who you know if we could even call him that um has this diagnosis of coronavirus and now people are sort of split in terms of how they think that we should respond and leave it to you know a large portion of the black community and other people in terms of democrats and liberals everywhere people are sending thoughts and prayers well wishes and all forms of empathy which I kind of find troubling right because it's like here we are with literally one of the most hateful presidents to date. And somehow everybody is now so quick to be like, well, you know, we really should think about his humanity. We should think about all the ways in which he's just like us. You know, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Never mind that he's literally wished it on 200,000 dead Americans right now, right? And the numbers are still climbing. There's still so many things that we don't know about the virus and so many preventative measures that this person could have taken in order to try to help stop the spread of coronavirus, COVID-19. But he chose not to do that. And now suddenly everybody wants us to have this overwhelming support for a guy who's literally supported nobody except himself. That, for me, feels a little problematic, right? You know, so often in our country, we have people that do terrible things, and everybody wants us to hurry up and rush and forgive them, forgive them, right? Like, now everybody wants to start quoting Bible scriptures, and I was having this kind of discussion with one of my friends who also was a Christian, and she was just like, well, we shouldn't judge. We should never wish anything on people. And I was just like, no, I kind of hope he dies, right? It's completely fine, right? Like people should experience the wrath of God when it suits them, right? We can't believe in good and not think that bad should go on like with impunity, though that kind of has been a narrative in America for a very long time. For so long, bad people have lived in this country, they have helped create this country, and shaped the very fabric of it, but somehow, they don't always face consequences. You know, we can look at even just the founding of America. America was founded on the dead bodies of indigenous people, right, the natives. We even had the audacity to call them the Native Americans, but how can I be native to a country that doesn't exist yet? Still doesn't make sense. But, sure, let's continue. Right. We have all this empathy that we should have for the founding fathers who, you know, are just trying to birth a new nation. But out of them creating this nation, they also were big hypocrites. Right. They were writing about this idea of freedom and equality while denying people freedom and equality, holding slaves. They are denying them their freedom. They are denying the equality of women who came over here with them. Right. The. Early settlers and colonizers, colonists, depending on your vantage point, didn't necessarily have like this idea that like women should be equal with them. What about them? Right. And what about all of the people that you've harmed when you came here? Keep in mind that when America was formed, there's like all sorts of disease and, and like just pain and suffering that's happening in Europe. That's why they set out to go and find the new world. They needed a new continent from which they could either have resources or a new place to try to start over. And also a lot of the people that came from here, right? Like at one point, this was a penal colony. 
for my not hit history buffs, a penal colony means that this was a place where we sent bad people, right? It was like a prison camp, except it's a whole land. And here come like really kind of the dregs of society, the worst of the worst coming here to America to start over and have this new rebirth in their lives. But that problem, right, like that, that reality then means that these people that come here aren't the most reputable, right? They're not these upstanding citizens that are scholars and intellects that are artists, right? Like, no, these are people that really might have just been bad for one country. And rather than us face that grim reality, we would rather just go, no, no, they were wonderful. They were perfect. They can do no wrong. Here we are. Let's go on and give them a whole town, a whole country to then terrorize other folks. And I think that like it's really troubling that we don't address this, but then we don't understand how all of the social structures of America are informed by that. Because of stuff like that, then it means that traditionally in America, cisgendered, heterosexual white men probably aren't going to face as much judgment. You want to go into go into literally any era of American history. You don't see cisgendered heterosexual white men being punished in large measure. Right. You can see a bunch of places where, hey, we're going to right. like even if we're just let's just stick in in like the colonial period for a second. Right. Like who were they like one of like very specific period I can think of is right like the Salem witch trials, you know, in Massachusetts. They're burning women, right? This woman did this thing that we didn't understand or we didn't like. She is a witch. She is an avatar of the devil. And we literally set these women on fire, right? That, for me, feels problematic. It feels troubling and it feels crazy to me that so often we just ignore that and skirt over and go, no, 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 that was just a different time in American history, right? Like, we don't understand it. It's like, no, no, we understand it very well, right? The patriarchy needed a scapegoat, and that's usually what it is in America. We need somebody to blame, but we don't ever really blame the top of the food chain because the people that really are pointing the fingers are never the ones at the top, though they are usually the perpetuators of the crime. And that, for me, like really upsets me because it makes me feel like, how can I believe in a system that I've known is corrupt from its inception? Right. If I know from the beginning that the, the person who is actually the criminal will never face judgment, why should I believe in that? And why should I feel bad when the only power I have, my freedom of speech, which is often taken away here. Right. That like when I use that just to say, like, no, fuck that person. People want you to feel badly about that. They want to go, no, 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 no. What about morality? And this is like. Right. Like, why do we have to have morality and he doesn't? And suddenly now we are bad people because we don't take this creed of when they go low, we go high. That's bullshit. Right. I like I have. So like one of my friends who's Christian was just like, no, that's not biblical. Right. Like, judge ye not lest ye be judged. And I'm just like, that's also true. But right. Like the Bible also says, right, the God will not be mocked. And then I also cite this one scripture that I was so grateful that one of my friends on Twitter posted. It's Psalms 109 verse eight through let's go to 11. Right. It says may his. Oh, let's go even further back. Right. Like to verse Six. It says, appoint a wicked man 
against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. Right, like it goes on for a long time talking about wicked people and the, the, the retribution that they should face, the ways in which we should deal with them. But frequently, people like to weaponize Christianity in this way where it says, right, we must be docile, we must accept torture or pain or death and just go, no, 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 we're like that. I don't believe, right? Like for me as a believer, I don't believe that that was what God wants for us. That when he says, turn the other cheek, that we should just allow somebody to keep punching us in the face. And we go, well, I'm just going to pray for him. No, no. This is also, if you are a Christian, the same God who sent people into lands to conquer and kill people, right? Like God was all the time wiping entire populations out for people who were defiling the name of God, right? And if you want to talk about somebody who's absolutely continuously defiling the name of God, Donald Trump is a a wonderful example of it, right? Wonderful example of it. He literally forced all of the parishioners at a church off of their own property to hold the Bible backwards and upside down in front of it for a photo opportunity to create this propaganda that then a lot of right-wing evangelicals and fake Christians will then try to go, yeah, no, he's a man of God, right? Like a man of God who can't recite scripture, a man of God who doesn't really try to conduct himself in a way that would feed the naked, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, right? Like, right? Like Jesus was for the least of us. And it doesn't make sense to me how somebody who was so vapid and empty of any concern for anybody except himself can now suddenly be a Christian president. Are we, are we for real? But this is canonical of, you know, the patriarchy. This is canonical of white supremacy as it exists in America. And so long in our country, we have people that try to do this thing of what we call in a black community, respectability politics, right? Respectability politics was kind of this mindset and still is that says, if I wear a suit and I go to the best schools, right? I went to Harvard. <laughs> I went to Princeton. Or, right, like, you know, like, because the Ivy Leagues, blah, they're racist. They don't always let black people in, right? Like, we also say, I went to these HBCUs. I am an HBCU grad, right? I went to Hampton. I went to Hampton University for my bachelor's, and then I went to University of Massachusetts, Boston, for my master's. But, right, like, so like it will go like, yeah, I went to this HBCU and now I am distinguished, right? Because we've got some letters behind our name. We have some degrees that society told us now they will respect. However, those degrees don't protect us from anything, right? They don't afford us the same privilege that white people do have. And, you know, for some people, right, like especially people who believe in respectability politics, they think that it does, right? And so they're always trying to isolate themselves. There's a text um, written by W.E.B. Du Bois called The Souls of Black Folk. 
Um, and it's a really great text. I love it. I, I, I used to teach it in my classes, but I still ha- I was always challenged by it because it, it postulates this idea of the talented 10th. This idea that in the black community, 10% of black people will be able to ascend to this higher, like upper echelon of society, right? Because we have education, because maybe we were able to buy a house or buy a car or get a a political office or a a good job with benefits, right? Then, you know, we are better than the other 90% of our community, you know? And so there's that part of it. And then the other idea that he also is putting forth when he says this about the talented 10th is that it is the role of the talented 10th to then reach back and help pull up the other 90% of our community. And, you know, I'm, I'm not here really to try to debate W.E.B. Du Bois, right? I, it's problematic in some ways because it suggests this idea of hierarchy in our community, that some people are better than others. And black people internalize that. They go, you know what? You're right. I am better than those Negroes in the projects. <laughs> I am better than those fools who never went to college. I am better than the lowliest garbage man who's here collecting my trash every Friday. Like, it's literally that idea that then sort of separates our community and makes people start to try to think that, like, somehow they're protected from all these social structures that actually negatively impact the whole community. You know, even if you have a doctorate in America as a black person, especially if you are a double minority, like if you're a woman, oh, my God, you're still going to be paid 81 cents to every one dollar of a white man. Right. They have the um, there's a holiday. I forget. I think it's in like July or August, but it's called like Black Woman's Payday. Uh, and it's a national holiday that says right like that a black woman has to work. One year and eight months into the next year to earn the same salary that her white counterpart does. Right. Like that. And like and, and it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter experience level or, or their educational background. It doesn't matter the career field. Right. Like it's everywhere. But we don't talk about it. And then somehow we like, but respectability politics says, no, no, you're protected. Right. You wore your suit. You went into corporate America. You did the thing that. We all hope that we that everyone can do that will elevate the race. You know, a a, a big sort of opponent or contemporary of W.B. Du Bois during the, you know, the um, earlier period um, of like, you know, uh, Renaissance and um, like civil rights was Booker T. Washington. Um, And he was talking about right, like us accepting sort of this second class citizenship in America and using that to help develop our own tools. So he was saying that, you know, we should get a trade. We should go out there and we should work real hard and accept the shoe shining position. We should accept the position as a mechanic. We shouldn't worry about trying to be doctors and lawyers or teachers. No, no, it's fine. We don't have to be the thinkers of this society because we just need to survive. You know, and that and a lot of white people championed this. this like this was championed by both Republicans and Democrats at one time. Right. The carpetbaggers and we like people love this kind of rhetoric because it allows white supremacy to live and for them to have now, you know, a good old boy who they can say, no, no, he endorses me. Right. It's the Herman Keynes of the world. Right. Like it, it's those people who look like us. But right there, a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? They, like we have this saying in the black community, all, all skin folk ain't kin folk, 
right? Every black person doesn't have the interests of the black community at heart. You know, and that's that's a reality, right? That's Candace Owens. That's Kanye West. That's so many other black people. And for me, I'm not going to do it. Right. I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and go right. Like if I behave in this way, that I'm better than these other black people and hope that I like my proximity to whiteness will afford me some privilege. Right. Because for me, the whole system's bullshit. And that's what is upsetting. The whole system is this false narrative and it helps us to all try to like buy into this idea that only some of us have access to. And I don't think that's fair. Right. And, and for a lot of people, they don't think that's fair. And so it then becomes really hard for people to buy into a system of democracy when we know that in black communities, there's like I just saw this thing today that was saying that Right. Like um, in one of the counties in the country um, that there are like six thousand black people that are all mailing in their votes for absentee ballots because we're still in a global pandemic. And there's one drop off station for like six thousand or more people. Right. We saw it in Kentucky when um, I forget what the politician's name was. Right. Like I think it was Mitch McConnell was up for re-election and in Kentucky and he like he like shut down all of it, it was like for 237,000 black voters they had like like maybe like 200 polling stations and it's like that's that's part of our democracy right but that's racism intertwined with our democracy and then you wonder why black people are both disenfranchised and disenchanted right it's hard for me to still buy into a system that i know is broken Right. It's what happens with our policing. We don't always talk about it. Right. We don't always talk about that policemen when they were originally the police department was created. Right. It was a reconstruction thing. And it was the slave catchers. Now they would like arrest black people. I forget what the name of the charge is. Right. Um, Something. Right. Like it was like the, the charge was like not having a job. Right. Former slave masters then employed black people to work now as sharecroppers on their land. And they would charge them room and board and a portion of all the tools they had. Right. Like, mind you, you were a former slave. This person was beating your ass yesterday. And now because good old Abe Lincoln and Congress then got together and said, all y'all is free now. War is over. We ain't going to do that. Da, 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 da. Woo. Yay. Juneteenth. Not the Emancipation Proclamation. But. We we literally we celebrate that. But now you think that all those mindsets just go away. No, no, they're right there. And I'm sure I'm positive. Right. Every former master, every former slave, we all still know what this is. And it and like right like there was at one point during Reconstruction, lots of black people were starting to be able to have like elected official positions. Right. They were they were senators. They were legislators. They were on city council. Right. And then this other point, right, like the turning point in Reconstruction, you know, we start having these slave catchers who now become police officers and they create this thing called black codes. Black codes were where instead of them now saying slave in a lot of the official laws in people's charters for their cities, right, in their 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 state and city constitutions, they would just change the word slave to black and then continue the same systems of oppression. Right. If you ever seen Ava DuVernay's um, the 13th, right, this documentary unpacks the ways in which the 13th Amendment doesn't protect us from slave labor if we are convicted of a felony. 
if people are convicted of a felony, you can go right back into slave labor, right? Slave labor like the fucking firefighters right now in California fighting wildfires and they are prisons. They are convicts making cents, like a few cents every day, right? 27 cents a day, right? And they can't even fucking go and be firefighters if they got released from prison. Isn't it crazy? Slave labor in 2020 in our country. But somehow, yes, black people, let's all buy into this system. Let's always believe that if I just talk rightly, right? Like we learned, right? Like people love to cite Martin Luther King Jr. is like, right, like a beacon of respectability politics, this idea that he was a nonviolent protester, right? But his nonviolent protest was very intentional, but it was to show and highlight all the violence he's facing. And hey, surprise, shocker, spoiler alert, they killed him too, right? For all his respectability, for all his suits, for all his Baptist preaching, for all of his degrees, right? He had a t- he had two degrees, right? He was Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., right? Naming himself after Martin Luther, another popular preacher who is here talking about the grievances that he has with a social structure, with a system, systemic issue. And right, like that's, that's where Martin Luther comes from. Like that's, that's what that, that's the framework for it. But that didn't protect him, right? And people always used to try to pit um, Martin Luther King Jr. against uh, Malcolm X, right? Well, Malcolm X is too radical. Fred Hampton is too radical. George Jackson, all these people, they're too crazy, right? They would rather us be docile so they can murder us. And, right, like, but like they still try to like, pre- like present this idea that we should be docile. And for me, I, like, I'm at this point now where I want to be hostile. You know, I want to because we are facing so much hostility on a continuous basis. So it seems ludicrous to me that people would just decide, you know what, let me just go on and lay down and take it. Right. That for me feels like madness. I I was talking to a friend and he was talking. We're talking about like, how do we change society? Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, we need to fix white supremacy in this country. And he was like, well, white supremacy is just too big. You need to have a more reasonable goal. And I'm like, well, what the hell? Like, are we so used to being like defeated by whiteness and by white supremacy that we should just accept this torture? We should accept second class citizenship and then come up with a more reasonable goal, a more a less lofty dream. Right. That's the same thing that Malcolm X faced when he was a child. Right. Told the teacher, I want to be a lawyer. She's like, no, no, there are no niggers that are lawyers. Right. And in a lot of ways, right, like that's what respectability politics is. Right. It's this belief that, like, if I behave in a certain manner, whiteness will respect my humanity and not kill me and not pay me less. But that's not true. Right. Brianna Taylor, was she being respectful? She was dead before she even got a chance to show her respectability. She got killed in her fucking house. Botham Jean sitting in his own home eating ice cream and he was murdered. But no, please do go on about respectability politics. And then this is where right like that, that forgiveness I was talking about earlier comes back into play because what then happens is Botham Jean is murdered by this woman who breaks into his house and oh, she's a police officer. So that police officer and her whiteness both protected her, both protected her, right? Like, and she did not get any, like, like they brought charges against her and she was found not guilty of all of them, right? And the brother rushes to hug her and you know who loves that? Whiteness. 
You know who loves that? White supremacy. Because they were like, he forgave her. That is the Christian thing to do. Right? Like, no, no. I, as I just read that scripture, I'm of the mindset of Psalms 109, right? I hope you burn. I hope that everything you love suffers in a way that I have suffered. I don't believe that because we have always been subjugated and subordinated by this country that we have to accept it. And for me, it feels like madness that people are so quick to want to try to give our murderers a hug. Fuck them. Right. They willingly say that all the time in the ways that they create wage gaps, in the ways that they systemically murder black and brown people and then do not hold anybody accountable. And then wonder why nobody believes in the police department. That no snitching policy wasn't just because it was protecting us. It was also because they weren't going to do anything anyway. So even if we talk, we're like P- Tupac got murdered on the Las Vegas Strip after a Mike Tyson fight. You know how many black people were out there? But you know why nobody talks about it? (laughs) Because these police don't care. You know how many black trans women are murdered daily? You know why it continues to happen? Because they are the least of us, right? They are the ones that would be on the bottom of our social hierarchy, according to white, cisgendered, heterosexual patriarchy, right? Because of that, it means that, right, like, not only are you a woman, so you're, right, like, not, not valued, you're also not white, not valued, and you're not cisgendered, not valued. And now, mind you, right, like we're not even talking about, we don't even necessarily know what people's sexuality is after we talked about their gender identity. But that's getting too specific, right? That's too heady for people. So when we use words like heteronormativity, right, heterosexuality being the norm, people go like, no, no, that's too many words. I can't understand that. You're just talking right here. You're being ridiculous. But marginalized communities get used to learning these words because we get used to navigating these spaces where our bodies are not valued, where our spirits are not valued, where our input is not even important to those in power because why would I need to talk to a woman about what we do with our bodies? Why would we need to talk to a black person about the way we police their communities? Why would we need to talk about wage gaps when I have all the wealth? I have all the power. I'm going to do whatever I want. Trump assembled a whole fucking cabinet of white old dudes, right? And then we wonder why the policies look crazy. No, no. It's like, oh, what are the things that might threaten white old dudes, right? And then we can just build our policies from there. And we can say we're Christian and make a Muslim ban. We can say that we are, you know, protecting American nationalism and we put kids in cages and say that it's in protection of illegal immigrants getting it, right? Like, but those things, the framework for that has been formed all the time, right? Trump didn't make the word illegal immigrant or illegal alien, right? He, like, he didn't make that sort of rhetoric, right? Like, because the groundwork had already been laid for him. If we go back, right back to 2008 and 2012, that rhetoric was already being cultivated by John McCain, right? When him and um, Sarah Palin were running for office, they had their slogan, their campaign slogan was country first, right? And they kept talking about traditional values. And for all of the people that are marginalized communities, we always understand what that means. When people say normal, right, for white people, they always mean, right, whiteness, right? When I say traditional values, it means a man and a woman, right? This this American dream, that idea. And so anybody that's not a man and a woman, that's not white, right, that doesn't fit in this tax bracket right here, you're not even seen. 
You are invisible to an entire system that will continue to victimize you because it doesn't value you. It doesn't care. Oh, you single, you black, you poor, go away. Oh, you Latina and you are like, (laughs) you're an immigrant and you don't speak English or like, or you do speak English and you speak Spanish, right? Like there are certain, like we'll value your English speaking, but we won't value you, right? We won't pay you your worth, right? Like there's a, what was it? It was like, they said, right, that (laughs) immigrants last year paid $11.7 billion in federal and state income taxes. Donald Trump paid $750. Do we hear this? Right? Like impunity. We, we went through the whole pomp and circumstance of holding this impeachment trial. And then we withheld evidence. We didn't subpoena everybody that we needed to. We let James Comey and everybody else, Robert Mueller and everybody do this dance where it's like, I want to hold a white man accountable, but I can't hold a white man accountable. Right? This is what it is, right? Like they were talking about, um, there was a recent article that I was just looking at on the Times website that was talking about how um, Rex Rosenstein, Rex Rosenstein was, or Rod Rosenstein, I forget, whatever, Rosenstein was talking about how they were about to invoke the 25th Amendment. This is an amendment that only has ever been used a few times when presidents are undergoing surgery or when they're not able to fulfill their duties as a way to now empower the vice president to become president. And then through the cabinet and Congress vote, they can make it so that the president could be put out of office permanently. They were thinking about this in 2016 and 17, but did not do it. Right. Because, again, Though we understand that Trump is erratic and crazy, a lot of what he's saying is stirring the pot that they already have been cooking since 1776, right? This large, like, imperialist, like, national identity, this idea of protecting traditional values, this idea of white supremacy, right? Like, those things have been here, right? Every president has known about the KKK and nobody's declared them a terrorist group ever, You know, that's not like, so when he doesn't condemn the Proud Boys, we can't be shot, right? Neo-Nazis have been murdering people. And even now, right, like in recent memory, the reason why it becomes important is because we have to see the interconnections between law enforcement and white supremacy, right? Kyle Rittenhouse walked past officers after he had murdered two people, but they put seven bullets in Rashad Brooks' back. Seven bullets, right? They murdered Tamir Rice for holding a toy gun as a 12-year-old in broad daylight, right? But a guy who has a machine gun and actually murdered people, right? Like, no, no, we aren't concerned with him, right? That's white supremacy. That's white privilege and white supremacy. And it's that we know it, right? Because he had already said, I'm here to support you all. If a black man ever did that, they would pop his ass on general principle. You hear me? Right. So we can't act surprised. Right. Like they bought Dylan Roof Burger King after he murdered nine black people in their church at the press service. Right. They put a bulletproof vest on him. But do go on and tell us that we should forgive these people. Do go on and tell us that we should say like, oh, you know, it is my Christian duty to forgive you. No, no, it's not. Right. And it's not Christian. And it's ahistorical for us to think that we should believe in systems that have never served us. Right. Bernice King, the child of Martin Luther King Jr., 
was talking about, right? Like she, she posts almost every day on Twitter. The system is not broken. It is working exactly as it was designed to. And I think that's where I'm going to leave it, right? Like keep in mind that we can't keep out like going out here and trying to forgive. We can't keep going out here and deciding that, oh, it should all be, you know, roses and rainbows when we know that these systems have been designed this way and we know that it's wrong, right? My issue always, always, always is that if we know something's wrong and we don't try to do what's right, then we're all complicit. And every time that we have to accept it, we are all continuing to allow white supremacy. We're continuing to allow dominant groups to keep their status while it hurts everybody who's not there. And if we keep allowing the wrong thing to constantly occur, then it makes it harder to believe in what's right. All right. Like that's the that is the, the grim reality. That in order for us to really believe in order and structure and all of these things, then there have to be consequences for people's actions. There have people have to be able to say that right, like this is wrong, lying in the sand, hold this person accountable. And if you don't, then it's easy to understand why people aren't going to buy into that system. I am of the mindset in some ways, right? That's why this, this podcast is called Fire Fairy, because, right, I think that we really might have to burn it all to the ground, right? And I don't necessarily, maybe, mean that in the literal sense of, right, like, go hurl a Molotov cocktail, though, you know, that might have its place someday. But we have to burn down all of these systems because none of them have been designed properly. None of them have had everybody at the table that deserves a voice. And so if your small council looks like the same people as the architects and all of these things only served one section of the population, then you're going to continue to get the same results. You're going to continue to see the same kinds of answers to all of these issues. And you're not going to ever really be able to affect change in any meaningful way. So, you know, I'm hoping that this election isn't going to be the clusterfuck and we allow another foreign power to steal our election once again. I'm hoping that whoever is in office will help to try to push forward the narrative of marginalized people. And I'm hoping that more people will wake up and go against this idea of like us having to behave in a certain way for people to respect our humanity because we're all human and everybody's humanity deserves to be respected. That's all I got for you. Thanks, y'all, for tuning in, and I will talk to you all soon. This is Malcolm Jamal on Fire Fairy Radio.